Dotnet Rocks episode 741 with guest Clemens Vasters. Recorded live Friday, February 3rd, 2012. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter and now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. It's Carl and Richard, and you're here for .NET Rocks. That's why we're here, that's why you're here, and that's why you listen. What's up, Richard? I, I'm feeling about the same way, actually. I'm, I'm here. You're here. We're all here. Man, we're, we're fine. fine. How are you? How are you? Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the last show of the day for us. This is February 3rd, and uh, Clemens Fasters is here. Before we get to that, we need to talk about some .NETty stuff. Let's talk about it. What are you talking about? I'm talking about Better Know Framework. Awesome. You better. Okay. What do you, you got? You better know it, because you got to use it to feed your family. <laughs> uh, I l- went looking, of course, for great uh, projects done in .NET and on CodePlex. There's this awesome library called N Audio. N Audio is an open source .NET audio and MIDI library containing dozens of useful audio-related classes intended to speed development of audio-related utilities in .NET. So this is good stuff. There's some good screenshots in. I have also written an audio library, but uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly how this one um, lines up, but I'm looking forward to playing with it because what's cool about this, actually, is that it does use ASIO, which is the um, Steinberg's invented I.O. system for dealing with audio devices that's very, very low latency. It's right on the metal. It's like you're writing directly with pointers to buffers. It's great. So... um so I'm I'm definitely going to check that out, and I hope you will, too. It's at naudio.codeplex.com. Nice. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 733, and that was uh, the one we did with Scott Willicke back at Dev Connections. that got delayed for publication a little bit. Yeah. And uh, you know what? Everybody loves a reporting show. And this comment is from Mark, and I just had to go for the big last name. Watch a showitch. Yeah, watch a showitch. Okay, I gave it a shot, Mark. You can mock me later. Uh, but he says, hi, guys. Great show. I'm not your typical .NET Rocks listener. I work as a business intelligence architect on the Microsoft BI stack, which is SSIS, SSRS, and SSAS. That's a lot of S's. Right. So that's uh, the integration services, reporting services, and analysis services. Oh, I thought uh, software This show really touched on a subject that I deal with on a regular basis, data visualization. Yeah. Grape City offers a great set of reporting tools, and I love that they are preaching the Stephen Few gospel. The book that Scott referred to in the show is called Now You See It. I highly recommend this book to your listeners. It is a very fast read. It will change your mind about how to display data. The author discusses a number of subjects and gets right to those hard decisions about flashy tools versus effective reporting and keep up the good work. And uh, Scott Willicke, the guest from that show, actually commented uh, on Mark's posting saying thanks for reminding us of all those books mark all of Stephen few's books are beautiful useful and quick to read unlike many of his peers his books are very pragmatic so you can put to use what you learn right away his books show me the numbers and information dashboard design are my favorites and uh, i'm with uh, scott and mark here steve few is one of those guys who has taken guys like edward tufty and i mean i love tufty tufty's yeah. awesome 
but it's very hard to take what Tufty talks about and say, how would I do this in code? Right. How, how does this translate for me? Yeah. And that's what Fuse books are about. So I've got a, a lot of link to the show for the Perceptual Edge, which is uh, Stephen Fuse website. In fact, I'm now thinking we got to get this guy on the show. Absolutely. Talking about data visualization, this is really a thoughtful guy and, and the sort of folks are going to do more about. And Mark, not going to try and say your last name again. Thanks for your great comment. Well, .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you would like one, you can make a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com. And coming up in the middle of the show, we're going to give away some stuff at the to a .NET Rocks fan club member. But Some good stuff. Yeah, some good stuff. But first, I want to tell you, this is this is a great coincidence because our guest today, uh, Clemens Vasters, uh, is validating our latest sponsor, Pluralsight. And Pluralsight oh. has nearly 200 professional courses online. They produce 8 to 10 new courses every month. Uh, they have a free trial for 10 days. You can access 200 minutes worth of their entire library. And uh, subscriptions start at just $29 a month. Very good stuff. The, the courses are great. And Clemens did a Pluralsight course late last year. Uh, which has been getting good feedback. It's called the Elements of Distributed Architecture. It provides a baseline for teams uh, on the foundational concepts of distributed systems and what to think about when you want to build robust server solutions. We'll talk to Clemens about that. Pluralsight.com. Love them. We love them. You'll love them too. And speaking of Clemens Vasters, he's here. Clemens is the principal technical lead for the service bus. And he's an ex-regional director turned Microsofty. I've uh, been speaking at conferences all over the world. Uh, created a little blog engine you might know of, DOS blog, way back in the day. But that's ancient history now. He's doing Pluralsight courses on distributed architecture. Welcome, Clemens. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. It's been a long time. Yeah, so you've been kind of dark, my friend. We don't see you near as much. Well, I I got stuff to do. <laughs> I, I'm 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 trying to keep the geese in the row inside of Microsoft, and that requires a lot of talking and making slides and uh, you know convincing people of the right thing. And uh, so I don't have as much time to invest uh, on the outside world. Well, and Service Bus seems in some ways to have come into its own. Like, doesn't the cloud just drop in your lap now? <laughs> What do you mean with that? Just it's a beautiful thing, right? Like a big like, rain yes. cloud. <laughs> you're in the cloud and you're like, you know what we need here? We need a service bus. Because up until, you know, before the whole cloud story really got serious, the, it, it just seemed like service bus was for only the biggest apps. And now it seems like anybody who wants to do anything significant on the cloud, the service bus comes into play. Yeah, that's it, it is really amazing, um, especially since we uh, just made some uh, changes or announced some changes in December on uh, changing the pricing story, which was which was honestly a little prohibitive for a lot of uses, um, we've uh, seen a lot of uptake, and also we see we're seeing a ton of scenarios. Mobile is helping a lot. People are thinking about how how can they get to their mobile devices, how can they do messaging. Um, so yeah, we're seeing a lot of interest in all kinds of different areas, either in the cloud where people want to go and just use Service Bus as a backplane for interconnecting things or uh, where they need to reach out to clients that are in the field um, or mobile or need to go and reach into their data center. So whenever someone's touching cloud or even mobile scenarios, uh, we're getting into the into the game when people know about us. And when you say changing pricing, you change the price to what exactly? Ah, so yes. Uh, so on December 10, um, the first thing we did is we turned the pricing meters off. So which the means price is right zero. 
Yeah. So right now the price is zero. Yes. So that's a very you can good walk price. up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a very good price. So what you can do right now is you can go to um, um, Azure.com and that's where you can start or www.microsoft.com slash Windows Azure. Go find find out how things go and then press the big sign up button, get a Windows Azure account, and then uh, you can go to the service bus portal. It's integrated with the rest of the Windows Azure portal. Go to windows.azure.com with your live ID and then create a service bus namespace. And whatever you use in that namespace, relay or queues or topics um, with our SDK, there's a new get package for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all free and that's wonderful. Now, that's not going to be free forever. Um, what we have announced is the pricing model. And the pricing model is going to, is very simple. I'm going to get to that in a moment. Let's uh, talk first about when that comes into effect. We've said that ter- service bus is going to stay free until March 31st this year. So that's still a little bit like six six weeks from uh, from now when the show is published. Mm-hmm. And uh, it looks like uh, we're going to give that another a month or two. Um, we don't have that firm yet, but uh, I think it's going to be another month or two extra extension. And then from then on, we're going to go and charge the new prices. And uh, before people... Um, effectively had their heads explode when they were reading how we're charging. So we changed Mm. that, that, made that a little simpler. So the model now is we charge one cent per 10,000 messages. Jeez. Yes. And we start, and that's highway robbery, man. That's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's BS. And what, and what uh, a message and what a message uh, means is it's a 60 it's either a message you send on messaging so you send a message to a queue that's one message um, and if that message exceeds 64k for the next 64k we charge another message so if you send a message of 256k that's going to be charged with four message units right i got you right so but um and so that's kind of a uh an, a per operation charge now these are payload messages, so we don't charge you for stuff you have to do infra- in an in infrastructure kind of way. So if you come up, come to us and do with HTTP long polling, mm-hmm. um, and we don't give you any messages for an hour, and but you just sit there and have that nailed up, and every 55 seconds you come back to us and say, hey, do you have a message? And we say, no, sorry, we don't have one for you. So you have kind of the forever alone polar on the low traffic queue. Hmm. Um, we don't charge you for that. So do you, do you charge for authentication and of uh, all that kind of basic yeah, traffic? So, yeah. So let's let's um, let's let, let me tell you what we charge for. So let's let's stick to the to the queuing, the queues and topics and so forth. So there's only the message charge plus there's the normal Windows Azure data center egress charge. So if you come into the data center, we don't charge you for that traffic. If you go out of the data center. Uh, we charge you the normal charge, and that's uh, a f- ten cents or something uh, per gigabyte. Then um, for ACS, if you for the access control service, if you uh, obtain a token, uh, that token is going to cost you something, but it's a minuscule fraction of a of a cent. Uh, and I think they're still they're still free too. Uh, and uh, so there's only very minimal additional charges that are that you're incurring so the most charge the the the, the most charges you're going to look at is typically the 1 cent per 10,000 messages for the relay there's one more charge and that is per endpoint 
um, which means per name that you're taking. So if you have uh, either you have one listener or you have eight listeners, which are which were load balanced across, so it's not per listener but per endpoint per name that you take up with a relay endpoint, we charge um, ten cents per one hundred hours that you have that relay endpoint active. Hmm. Okay. And, and, and yes. Well, it's not complicated at all. No, no, it's yeah. it's really not. Well, actually, a bunch of this pricing has got nothing to do with the service bus, right? These are just Azure prices. All that bandwidth stuff that's at normal Azure pricing. That's right. Okay. So, so we just made so we because before we had this model where we had um, we were charging per connection five dollars. If you had uh, a special, if you have a special arrangement, it was three dollars. And then there was all kinds of weird math around the notion of what a connection is. And that didn't fit the the model for messaging at all. Um, so and and for connections, that was actually very very expensive for people who actually need to have a lot of connections. So now we don't charge for connections at all, but for the relay, we're effectively having this charge for the relay so that we can defend against a particular usage scenario, or we can um, defend against probably not right, but we create fairness in the system around the particular usage scenario. That if you had um, you know, a hundred thousand uh, machines out in the field, and you want to use Service Bus just as a beacon. Right. So you just hook them up into Service Bus, and you don't do any traffic. Then you can use us as a discovery fabric. So you can basically hook them up into the namespace. You can make them dis- discoverable, and then you can go and see whether the individual machines are e- are present without even pinging them. And so that would be totally free with the with the with the model that we have because infrastructure doesn't cost you. So for that particular scenario, we have that charge so that if you do this, then you can you can totally do that. But we're um, going to charge you for that as well. So typically, the, the relay cost is now significantly. It's like a tenth of what it was with the um, with the connection model. So, and I understand that uh, you guys are snuggling up with Signal R to be a backplane yes. for them. Tell me about that. Yeah, so um, SignalR was built as a, a first kind of private um, amusement pr- uh, project for Damien Edwards and David Fowler over from ASP.NET. And uh, now that has gotten so much uptake that uh, those two guys are now taking that uh, very seriously, and it really becomes a Microsoft thing. And uh, SignalR is really, really good at doing lightweight signaling into the browser with uh, various types of transports. So they have long polling and they support web sockets. They have different, they support server side events. So various kinds of transports and it's very lightweight. And what they are good at and are getting even better at is to do very, very, very many sockets in parallel onto the same machine. So you can put a SignalR server up and it can go and service 20,000 clients at a time. And of course, and that's fantastic. And effectively, they're they're mostly just limited by by memory, and by CPU to some degree, but mostly just by memory. And that's about you know holding all the sockets avail- available. Yeah, every socket so eats a certain number of bytes. That's yeah. You have to have the transfer buffer. So that's the, that's the magic of sockets, right? The so- each each socket b- eats up its own transfer buffer in your memory. So you can't put millions of sockets on a single machine just because you need to have a transfer buffer of 64K for every every single sure. one of them. Well, and, so, and look, 20,000 per instance, like you can't get a web server to do that. Like that's an epic number. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just a question. It's just a question of, of how much, um, uh, how much uh, um, 
memory you throw at the problem. Sure. So my expectation, my expectation is that they can, they'll be easily able to go in the Windows Azure instance and do like ten to fifteen thousand uh, connections on a on a per node basis. And so that's that's great, and some, that's something that we we would like to do with Service Bus. But Service Bus is this universal multi-protocol fabric, and we have authentication, and we have all those things. So we're we're kind of a little bit of a more serious thing, and we're um, you know multi-purpose. So if you wanted to if you wanted to build something that is special purpose, like you want to build chat, and there's a chat jabber. J a b b r dot net, right? Yeah, um, that uh, David Fowler wrote. That's a fairly special purpose thing. And if you want to go and put that as a backend and say, let's say David Fowler now wanted to host the uh, the um, Justin Bieber chat, right? And so Justin Bieber shows up in that chat. Not that he would. Himself. We're just no, saying. not that he would. But I'm just let let's specu- <laughs> speculate about this. And all of a sudden, you have uh, fifty thousand young ladies in that chat room. That's kind of a little bit of scale you need to deal with. Sure. Yeah. And so how do you do that? And so we can go up to 10,000, 15,000, probably on a single machine, but then you need to go and scale up beyond this. And now you need to have those nodes talk to each other and also do things like preserve order on a, on a per user basis. So what we're doing is we're, we're putting SingleR kind of upfront. We're, we're um, letting them or the ASP.NET guys are going to build that framework. And we from the service bus team, or more precisely I, will build a backplane for this, which actually then does the intranode communication so that they can go up on front, do the communication on the nodes. So they send, they deal with the messages to the 15,000 on a node by node basis. And I shuttle all the messages on the backplane and build that as a scale out architecture um, so that um, we can do with one topic, we can do about 15, 20, uh, 2,500 messages per second. Okay. And, uh, and uh, so if that requires more, then you just s- spread it out over multiple topics and just add more. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our friends at Telerik, who bring you the Telerik extensions for ASP.NET MVC. The extensions bring rich UIs to your MVC application. These are just announced, and this time they're not standard web forms controls tailored for MVC, but native, built-from-the-ground-up MVC components. There's three important things to remember. One, they're pure ASP.NET MVC components. Two, they're based on jQuery. And third, and this is the best part, they're completely open source. Just go to www.telerik.com MVC for more information and online demos. Make sure you thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Is there caching? In other words, what if the what if the server is offline for one of the clients is offline, and then when yeah. they when they reconnect, do they get their messages? Yeah. So there's a local there in each node is a, effectively a local cache for each of those streams. Um, they have that in single R right now. So they have this local they have a local buffer that sits in memory and that holds messages for thirty seconds. So if you come in and do a long polling request, you get the message back, and there's more messages arriving. You can't go back to that buffer and get the messages you haven't seen yet. But that's a signal R feature. That's not a that's, service bus feature. That's a signal R feature, right? So okay. we're gonna we're gonna have the the adapter for the sig- service bus adapter for signal R is gonna have is basically gonna bring its own cache. Um, to preserve, for instance, order. Like yeah. if you want, if you're participating in a chat, 
then you want to make sure that all the lines that you put into that chat are coming out in the exact order that you've been putting them in. Hmm. And you want to have that in chat for each individual participant. So we're putting a trick in um, that will work across a number of nodes that will allow your messages to be ordered by the service bus broker, but also have that work at scale out. And um, how I'm doing going to do this is uh, going to be uh, very visible because uh, all that code is going to end up on GitHub. So it seems like it's a perfect match, SignalR and, and Service Bus, to provide yeah. that sort of client side stuff that uh, that you guys really haven't done all that much. Uh, well, we have we have uh, client side libraries. We have uh, if you go to servicebus.coplex.com, and also if you take a look at the the various SDKs in different languages, we have uh, a number of clients. Yeah. And uh, as we bring more features on this uh, year in terms of protocol support, um, for instance, we've been very active and uh, uh, in the in the respective circles has also been very visible that we've participated in the AMQP mm. um, advanced message queuing protocol effort uh, to define that new standard. And uh, so one of my colleagues, David Ingham from the from our team, has been uh, driving co-driving that standard. Actually, he's the co-chair of uh, the standardization effort. And so we're going to take that protocol into the system. And then AMQP is going to have a lot of coverage on C and uh, Java and all kinds of d different languages. Um, and uh, so we're going to have more client coverage there. But yes, oh, that's for, cool. so for SignalR specifically, uh, what SignalR does well is having client connectivity specifically into the browser context. G walking around all those um, all the, 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 the problems that you have if you're sitting inside the browser and so SignalR is doing a much better job at that than um, we're, we are doing over in Service Bus. And truth be told, one of the things that we have right now um, as something that we want to do, we're crying and waiting, is WebSockets yeah. in Service Bus. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why we can't use that, so we have this workaround. I can talk about that if you're interested. Um, we have a workaround, what we call WebStreams. Okay. Um, which is effectively yeah. a, a long post and a long get, and you get those. Uh, you we basically knit them together, but that's not WebSockets. And we can't do WebSockets yet because WebSockets is requires for us because we need to run it over HTTPS. We need to run it over the same port. Um, requires that we have Windows Server eight, and we don't have Windows Server eight in the in the data center yet because yeah. it's not shipping yet. Right, right. And we can only put our system, our production system, on production software. And so WebSockets has got to wait a little bit, but SignalR is kind of a good out for this because SignalR you can go and deploy in your own in your own roles, and then you can use some other WebSocket stack to go and make that work. Can you look into the queues uh, very easily? Is that a is that a very very easy thing to do? Like, say something gets stuck, a message gets stuck. Is there is there any way to like open up a, a web thing and and look and see what's in there? Yeah, so that's the that's the the what we call the browse feature. The browse feature is not is not in the public service yet, but we're building that for the other thing that we're building. Uh, also, something that's going to come this year, about which I'm not going to share any specifics, other than saying that Service Bus is going to come onto on premises. Mm -hmm. Okay, right, so you will be able to take some kind some form of software package and put that onto a machine and then make Service Bus appear there. Because, I mean, Service Bus originally was a, uh, sort of an independent install, and then it's moved into Azure. And at the moment, you can only get it as part of Azure, right? Well, the, the, it, it has a long history. It's actually the oldest, it's the oldest cloud service, cloud pass service that Microsoft has. Sure. 
Um, in on May, we actually started May thirty first, uh, two thousand six, in called Live Labs Relay and Live Labs STS, and that then turned into BizTalk Services, and that turned into .NET Services, and uh, then that turned into Azure. But uh, the first time we became commercially available was inside of Azure. So really, we've been starting. There was a lot of efforts that are, were coming from all sides inside of Microsoft, and they gelled together into Windows Azure. So um, I'd like to think that we've been starting out as a Windows Azure service. Uh, it just wasn't named that way. Right. They took them a while to catch up with your intent. Uh, yeah, that's one way to say it. <laughs> Clemens, hang on one second while we take care of a little business. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're going to give away a Telerik Ultimate Collection. I don't know if you know this, Clemens, but we've started a .NET Rocks fan club for the purposes of giving away stuff. In every show, we're giving away a Telerik Ultimate Collection. And also, we have a few limited copies of Nimble Pro's Software Craftsmanship 2012 Motivational Calendars. Nice. Yeah, so the winner of all that booty today is James Green. Congratulations, James. The lone clap guy. For you. I'm, I'm clapping for you, James. You got some loot. And basically what this is all about is you go to .nerox.com slash fanpage.aspx and sign up and just tell us a little bit about yourself. And then every show you get a chance to win something. And uh, when we have free tickets to events, we'll give those away. And every year in December, we're going to give away $5,000 worth of booty, like good technology, something. We're going to give it away. So you want to get in on that. Awesome. One of the things that we've been asking for, and Richard in particular has been asking for, but brought it to light uh, in Azure, is this sort of idea of auto-scaling so that you don't have to, uh, you know, you don't have to let it fail before you can scale. Mm, mm, yes. Any news in that area? Yeah, so you can, <clears throat> yeah, you can do that already, uh, but there's no automated automated way of doing that. Well, that's what um, I'm talking about, an automated way, so that yeah. when the demand is there, it scales up automatically and then scales down when the demand drops. Yeah, so there's let, let me let me let me let me try to be more precise than what I just said. So there's nothing stopping you from doing that to, from doing that today and building that into your applications. However, detecting whether your application is really busy is depending on so many factors that that's it's true. hard for me to say, hey, this is now the threshold that I'm going to put into a framework which is the number one dial where I'm going to say I'm going to provision more capacity on behalf of the user. So that's really hard. I guess you're right because, you know, what happens if your code gets stuck in an infinite loop and you're, and you got something saying, Oh, that, that thing needs more CPU cycles, <laughs> propagates yes. that out to 12 or 15 servers that are, that are now all stuck in infinite loops. So, so, so let me, let me give you an example of how you can use messaging to actually determine whether you need more capacity. Yeah. Bring it on. So, it, so you have a queue. And you run effectively all your work that you need to be need to get done through a queue, which is a good idea for reliability, etc. Sure. And you have and you have one worker that's pulling on that queue. So now the queue is the worker is has one thread, takes a message, works on that message, is done, goes and gets the next message. You can go and take at the message count of the queue. That's a property that we expose. If that message count grows. You have you don't have enough capacity because your backlog is growing faster than you can work on it. Right. What you do is as a reaction to this, so you observe this and you say, I have only have one thread, go add another thread and 
see how the queue behaves. If the if the queue level sinks and goes down to zero, you probably have now too, mu too much capacity. So, so you can go and do that on the same machine by observing that, or you could even go and have and make your deployment in Windows Azure smart enough so that it can edit its own instance count for that role. So can you you can do that uh, programmatically? Just spin up a new thread. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a new thread is easy. We all know how to do this, but. Spinning up a new instance in Windows Azure, um, there's yeah, that's a. What, that's what I meant. Yeah, effectively, that's just uh, in the management uh, um, um, API. You can go and just manipulate the configuration of your deployment to just up the instance count, and then Windows Azure is going to start a new instance for you. Now, the the one thing the one thing that it doesn't do um, probably quickly enough is to go and make that role appear instantly. So that's going to take okay. the usual seven to eight minutes. So it, what you can also what you can also do is effectively you can go and have a role in standby that kind of takes can if you have a multi-role system you have have a system that has multiple backend roles you just go and always co-deploy all the roles on one machine if you need to have one of one of them you can go and give that role a signal probably hang, have it hanging off a queue that will then go and um, turn that role uh, into or or take that deployment and make that into the role that you need and then add that to the system. Is the service management API a managed API? Um, it's a REST service that's okay. part of Windows Azure, and that's also wrapped by the the client libraries. Okay. And so the big thing here is knowing how to instrument your app properly. I mean, counting queues is one thing, but I would be cautious about how many threads I want to spin up. At some point, I might go insane and spin lots of threads up because the queue count's not going down because the machine that I'm launching more threads on is buried and not actually finishing anything. So you have to have a maximum thread count, obviously. So it's sort or at of like least some metric over the load of that instance. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. So ultimately, ultimately, what you need to do is you need to deal with the physics of the machine. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's what my, uh, if you allow that I just do a very um, smart segue into um, my course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that is about. Um, so the elements of distributed architecture that I've made for ProSite is really talking about the physics um, of uh, software architecture. And that's one of those, that's one of those areas, right? Where you need to know what your constraints are in your system. And uh, many people think of that as a, you know, it's, oh, it's a computer and uh, it's just a machine and it's infinite space and it's all cyberspace and we have no bounds. But that's obviously not true because you have memory, you have a disk that's spinning, you have some throughput boundaries. And so you need to know what the capacity of your system is. You need to make some um, estimates of how far it will scale. And then if you, if you can't satisfy it with a single machine, specifically not in a commoditized environment like Windows Azure, where you have a choice between the types of machines that you want, but then you have to live with those. And then you need to have a plan and architecture for how you get out, how you can go and add a second or third or fourth node um, when uh, the capacity of that one machine is exhausted. And, uh, you know, what's great about this course, I'm looking through the, the topics, and in your introduction, you have a one minute and 20 second section called Thieves and Idiots. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, right. That's totally professional cl class here. Oh wait, no, that's that, I mean that I mean that very very seriously. I bet so you do. Have, Tell us. I have um, so thieves are obvious, right? So the, this is about this is introducing the uh, thieves and idiots is one of the forces 
um, right? You have elements of architecture. These are the pieces you work with, and they have forces. And that's uh, a, a someone who is constructing a building has forces that they work against. Right. They have wind. They have gravity. They have all those things. So in software, we also have things that we work work against. Right. And uh, those forces are. Um, capacity and latency and affinity and failure and uh, thieves and idiots. So thieves would be the people who are maliciously trying to hack in your system. Idiots are people who do it by accident. That's exactly screw right. Screw it up and, by accident. Yeah. And and you would not believe <laughs> <laughs> what, what things you can see if uh, you're yeah. peeking into the operational side of running a large service. I have I have seen that. Uh, yes. And yeah. If you also want to get a really good glimpse into what users do, be in tech support for a day. Just go down to tech support and say, I want to answer the phone for a day. <laughs> so, so, so the, so the mitigation, the, the way how you deal with it is, uh, with thieves, you have security and with idiots, you have safety. Yeah. Because safety, making a backup is, is you ultimately you make a, a backup, not to uh, necessarily protect against disk loss. I mean, if you only have one, if you only have one disk, then you're doing it. But in the data center, we have replication of everything that's stored. Right? The the there's the Windows Azure storage system keeps two copies, two extra copies of everything that you store, so three total. When SQL Azure does that, so something catastrophic would have to happen if you um, if you would lose that data, but Someone walks in and uh, deletes all content from a table. That data Oops. is gone. Who, who would do right? that? How well, does that ever happen? I don't know. I can't imagine. Delete star. It it does. <laughs> oh, uh, I had that condition wrong. Didn't you yeah. test that? No. Yeah, there's no where clause in here. <laughs> <laughs> and, and interesting, you pointed out something that somebody would have substantial privileges to be able to do. It's not just external idiots. It's those idiot moments we have of ourselves. Oh, yeah. I yes. dragged and dropped that table into the garbage can. Dun, dun, dun. And, and people do that on production systems. And they look over. And you know how this is, right? You, you're, you're sitting. And it doesn't need to be something you do in operational things, right? You sit there and you write a, a piece of code. And it doesn't work. And you're looking at it. And you're staring at it for three hours. And you have no idea what's wrong. And then someone comes by and says, hey, uh, how about you change that and then it's going to work? And you're like, ugh. So if you, yeah. if that happens to you, that that moment where you just are not having a good day and you're sitting in front of the SQL console uh, against the production database, that's just how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got to protect yourself against these things. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only $6.95. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. I mean, how do you feeling in general around Azure's own protections? Should we be having our own backup strategy as well? Do we believe in the triply redundant data storage, et cetera, et cetera? So you need to have so you need to have a you need to have a story around safety of data for your own apps, right? So 
So I'm not so I'm I'm not so concerned about you know losing SQL Azure fumbling a database completely. No. Right. If if there is corruption, so let let me let me be clear. Um, they are not Superman, right? No, and so they're not going to protect you against that. You're going to have three perfect copies of the same screwed up data. Yes. No. Wait. So if uh, what I mean is if there's if there's file level corruption. They can throw they can throw away one copy and just use use the other two and build a new one, and that's what they're doing. So so basically the the basic foundational file maintenance tasks that have to be done with SQL um, every once in a while that I'm not worried about. I'm also not worried about them losing outright losing a database. What I'm losing what I'm worried more about is that you have a bug in your system and you're screwing up your own data. So that's what I'm. Yeah, that's, that's the what usual most, thing. Yeah, right? and that's set what every I'm, customer's could, name to John Smith. Yeah, and Azure will perfectly back that up for you. Yeah, no exactly. Problem. So I think I think you can't get around in having a, of of having a strategy that takes your most valuable data and puts that away in a safe place. Does does effectively does a backup copy um, somewhere, or at least write something that that comes close to transactions log. So you can go and recon, uh, uh, reconstruct data if you end up losing it. And one of the principles that we fall so we just um, had very recently uh, something going on uh, in the backend system where someone went in and um, um, made a change that they shouldn't do. Right. So and that that happens. Right. Didn't didn't affect uh, didn't affect a lot of customers, but that just happens. So. One of the principles that we have in our in our database for the provisioning system, so the provisioning system is one of the, the service bus and the the rest of the service are kind of like an iceberg. You see the tip of it, but there's a lot of stuff that's underwater. One of those things is the provisioning system. When you walk up and present us your credit card and say, "Hey, I want to have a Windows Azure account," then all the services learn about it and they set something up for you. And then you walk up to the portal and make a namespace, and that's causing all kinds of things to happen. The NSP is provisioned, and it all needs to be consistent. So, in that system that keeps track of who you are, we never delete anything. Yeah, hmm. never delete. There's a fl- there's a flag that's called hidden, right? And we set that, and then it vanishes from view from the operational view, but um, we never delete anything. And that's a good principle. Soft deletes all over the place. And then if you have operational data, we, we can't obviously can't do that with messages that we put into the messages store, right? You have a five, five gig limit on how many messages you can put into a queue. And uh, it's while we do soft delete, we do clean them up. Um, so, and for us, soft delete in that case means that we're going to clean them up after some period of time, 24 hours. So we can go and and theoretically get them back if we were quick enough, but that's mostly just a garbage collection thing, and we don't delete them while we're processing them uh, right. because that just takes too long. But but uh, for your core data, like really, who's my customer? In that case, we never delete. So we are always able. If someone goes and deletes intentionally, we're always able to go and flip that big bit back and and reactivate that record. Clemens, tell us the story of uh, what brought you guys to sort of up your game on the scalability uh, topic recently. Yeah, so um, we have been. So January was a little bit of a rough month for Service Bus. We had, uh, um, I think, four or five uh, episodes where uh, the system uh, was a little bit under stress. 
never really down, but uh, there were five, four or five episodes where customers were feeling it um, because we're getting too popular. We're so, getting into um, what? We're getting too popular. Oh, getting too popular. <laughs> yeah, you have good problems. Because people yes. are using it, they're stressing the limits out. That's it. a good problem yes, to have. Right. Yeah. yeah, so with the with the pricing changes and specifically because we're we're um uh, free now to use uh, people are kicking the tires and uh, we're actually having a bunch of production systems also which are going uh, in and uh, so we've been specifically in the America North uh, North Central America data center that's up in Chicago. Um we've been having um um some episode some of those episodes so what we went what we did is we went in and uh, added further capacities sometimes doubled them um to create more headroom and uh, now the systems are uh, getting back to where they should be in terms of uh, reliably reliability being up uh, but that was kind of surprising that uh, the usage shot up that way like it it didn't even double didn't only double i think we were like five times more um, than we had before, so it's uh, it's growing. So when you say you you did some tweaking and stuff, what exactly did it? Was it an architectural thing, or was it just going and flipping a bit somewhere? Yeah, that's it, it's mostly it's mostly flipping a bit, and that's uh, yeah. just adding more, adding uh, more instances. Yeah, adding yeah. more instances to the system, and that's something that so the system doesn't do that um, all by itself. Uh, you would think that it automatically goes and scales those things up, um, but it does not. Because um, of um, worries that uh, the system could have a fi- could have an error in that area. Yeah, <laughs> just have- just like we were talking about before. It's yes. great in theory, but you know, do you really want to trust your customers to an algorithm? Yeah, and and that algorithm would have to be very clever because if you think about all the moving pieces that we have in Service Bus, um, there there is no single way, no single metric we can use to make the decision about whether we're going to go and st- scale up or not. So we have some thresholds, and uh, the 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 sudden the sudden spike in traffic, like people were starting to code like crazy in December, um, for some reason we we have we have no idea, um, but the traffic spikes so quickly that usually you have those th- soft thresholds where you start thinking, hey, we should add capacity, yeah, and they just ran through all straight through them. Wow. And yeah, I guess that's the whole thing is you don't wait till the machine's overstressed. You've got to figure out what it looks at like at its functional limits. Yeah, mm. the interesting thing is the interesting thing is you also need to know how the system looks when it's stressed. Yeah, and you know, and I, I, uh, having load tested lots of web servers, I know there's a point where request queues begin to climb and uh, requests incoming per second versus pages served starts to separate. And it's sort of, you could see on the graph when you have the right measure, right there is where we should have done something. And of course we didn't. So you could see the disaster that follows, you know, as the page response time starts to get longer and longer and longer and request per second is declining. You're like, uh oh. So once you know those numbers, you know, you can set flags there. I go into stuff like system center operations manager show forth and say, Hey, the web server is getting stressed. It's risen this much. You probably got five minutes or 20 minutes to react before it's going to face plan. Yeah, and exactly, and so that's that's stuff that we're finding out together with, uh, uh, or have been finding out at that point with the operational with the operations team, and uh, you know once once it happens to you, you know how it works, and then you know what the what the patterns to look for, and then it's not going to happen to you next time, but that it just it just happens, right? Yeah, and and the problem is I've never 
ever been able to simulate the failure the same as the real world. Yeah, you can't. You, and you, you can't try, because- I've tried really hard, Clemens, let me tell you. I've built <laughs> some pretty t- crazy scripts to try and make it look just like yes. what people are going to do to a website. I've just been wrong. Yeah, yeah, that's and that's what we're finding. And the interesting thing is also when you get um, – the stress doesn't necessarily come through the front door. That's that's one that's that's probably my biggest insight here um, about the patterns is um, because the the traffic doesn't seem to be suspicious until you see that there's a lot of work that's being done kind of on the back end because we're data bound right we have a reliable queuing broker uh, in the background so sometimes you're just overstressing your store because you get uh, a bucket that's getting super hot because there's as as luck will have it there's five, 10 super busy con- containers sitting on the back end and they're getting hammered. And uh, now basically because the back end doesn't feel so well and because the database doesn't feel so well, um, that all propagates through the system and then ends up making the front end not respond. And of course, the errors that you're going to see first is all the front end. And uh, so it takes a while to get to the root cause. So we're, we've been do, through some of that, but uh, it's all getting uh, perfectly wonderful. Yeah. Very interesting, challenging stuff. So what's the next thing on the service bus menu? What's on your, what's on your uh, list, your to-do list this year? So what we want to do this year is, uh, first of all, as I said earlier, the, uh, the AMQP protocol work, um, that's something we want to get on. Um, the next thing that we want to get done is uh, we want to get um, the the on-premises story uh, more symmetric than it is. Right now, our on-premises story for messaging is MSMQ. By the way, we own that too. Yeah. And so MSMQ is going to ship in Windows 8, by the way. And so that's not going to change. If you have an application that uses MSMQ, you can use that in Windows 8. And uh, we will go and bring service bus or a subset of service bus also to the server. The exact shape of that uh, we'll uh, be talking about uh, when time comes. And then uh, lastly, I have uh, presented uh, something called Iguazoo at the build conference, uh, large scale push notifications capabilities that we're going to add into service bus. And uh, we're hoping that we can get that also done this year. We have uh, some very talented folks working on that right now. And uh, we're um, working with some partners to get that done and to to get that push capability working for Windows 8 and a number of other platforms. Well, Clemens, thanks very much. Good luck. And it sounds like you got your work cut out for you, but Service Bus is obviously very popular. And uh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, it was uh, great to be on the show again. And uh, as soon as I have news, uh, new things to talk about, I'll uh, knock on the door and uh, ask for you to let me in again. Sure. All right. We'll see you next time. Yep. On .NET Rocks. Thanks for listening. And remember, Pluralsight.com is where you can get 200 free minutes of developer training online pluralsite.com dotnet rocks is recorded and produced by pwop productions providing professional audio audio mastering video 
post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.